0: 52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable 9-iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yesterday's
1: price is not today's price. Yo,
0: yo, yo. Welcome in golf fans. This is the Preferred Lines podcast and live stream that we do weekly, Monday nights at 8:30. I'm Joe idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter as you can was fo- where you can follow me. Uh incredible show lined up tonight. We're going to talk a little bit of recap of the Travelers Championship. Um, just a little bit over just golf talk in terms of stories and stuff that's going on in general right now, and then preview and give some picks to win the rocket mo classic. Uh, my guys, Brent's here to the moon. Who's our rocket man. Find out shortly, stick around, sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage and enjoy the program. This is preferred lines before we get started as always, uh, brought to you and supported and presented by my friends at the fantasy golf pod. Uh, Chad, Jish, Eric, they're on like a, a, a FGP retreat this week. They're playing a little golf. I saw the boys posted some some active content over there. Make sure to check them out. They're huge supporters of the show. Be supportive of them as well. Um, I got to mention the Preferred Lines shop, preferredlinesgolf.com slash shop. Just visit the website. If you want to buy any gear, any hats or anything like that, it is all available. It is all for sale um, that would be greatly appreciated. As you can see, we don't uh, pound you with ads and a bunch of different sponsors on this show. It's all brought to you from the goodness of my heart. So anything that you can do to support the show is greatly appreciated. Like, subscribe. That stuff goes a long way. Maybe go over and check out the Preferred Lines YouTube page and drop your name in the comments. Like my guy Ted here who says the odds are terrible. I can't necessarily disagree with you, Ted. Uh, but I've got a guest coming along. And and right now, actually, let's go ahead and bring him on. Um, excited to talk to him just found out off the air before we went hot that we live like i don't know eight to ten minutes from each other welcome into preferred lines from the game day he has all his content over there for both football and golf sam wagman at s wagman 95 what's up dude
1: uh nothing much man just just coming off a uh pretty much kind of a brutal weekend outside of outside of hitting a Denny McCarthy first round leader. Uh, we we both suffered a little bit of heartbreak there. I know you were super high on him last week, but outside of that didn't really hit anything else. So, but you know, we get Rock and mortgage this week. Yads, we get, we get to see a non big three for the first time in what feels like months at this point, but the odds are definitely kind of terrible. So there's that, but we'll find a way.
0: Yeah, the odds are what they are. You know, you mentioned Denny. Let's sort of start there. Obviously, um, was was quite a moment. Like, the guy almost holed out for 59 and one of the most epic shots that I've ever seen. He's close, man. He's putting the pieces together. I don't want to... I'm certainly not going to be the one that's going to rip him for a disappointing weekend, although it was, although I was a bit heartbroken. Um, just the fact that that came in the first round, I think, left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Who bet him this last week? But if he barely, you know, if he makes the cut by one or two shots and fires that 60 on Sunday, we all all of a sudden love Danny and can't wait to bet him. He's putting pieces together. The ball striking is coming together beyond what I could have ever imagined. And I think it's just a matter of time for him. Maybe next week, I'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show, but I saw he committed to the John Deere Classic. Uh, Maybe just like a single bullet heavy Danny week for me over there, moving some dirt with the tractors.
1: Yeah, I mean that that could definitely be a place that's that's definitely a place where, you know, his kind of skill set fits in really nicely. And uh what would have been really nice here too, I think as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so Ted last week had Keegan 90 to 1. Um I missed out on Keegan. I probably sh- like looking back on it, there's been a couple winners recently that I'm like Okay, I would have never been there. I would have never been there on Wyndham Clark at the U.S. Open. I would have never been there on Emiliano Grillo. Um, I could have seen and foreseen having action on Keegan at the Travelers, and I just missed it last week. Sort of a, a triumphant win for him. I felt very good for him, but to be honest with you, just was not. It was probably the least compelling like weekend of golf I've I've had in a while in terms of watching. There wasn't that much excitement there for me. He ran out to that early lead chez sort of saw himself out the side door and and he was able to just kind of hold on for dear life. What was the main takeaway for you from the Travelers other than Keegan Bradley's win? Um
1: really just how obsolete of a course TPC River Highlands is at this point. I mean, we got multiple 60s, guys firing, you know, 60, 61, 62 just seemingly at will and you know, Rory Rory said it. He he literally said this course is obsolete. Uh, you know, that's a course where the uh, the proposed rollback of, of the ball flight and distance would have been, you know, a pretty, a pretty big help there. And uh, guys could just take advantage of it. You didn't have to be a short hitter. You could just, you know, attack the course at will. It's just so short at this point. It really has a point. We've just seen that in the last couple of years. These courses that are, you know, shorter than 7,200 yards just get pulverized. Yeah,
0: um, I think it was... I think a little bit of it had to do, okay, the course is short. We know that. But we've seen the course historically play between like 14 and 18 under par. When they can firm it up a little bit, it gets tougher. There were extremely soft conditions this week, and like the weather has been wet in the Midwest, which we'll talk a little bit about more of that for this week. But um, you mentioned it. Rory uh, made headlines once again. He called the course obsolete. He says that really technology has sort of passed TPC River Highlands by. And I think it's part of his narrative to sort of continue to push this bifurcation, right? He wants Mm -hmm. them. He's for a general rollback of the golf ball to mitigate some of the distances that these players are hitting it, which is an unusual stance for someone to take who's also the longest player in the game. Um, I suppose that further increases his his advantage you could make that argument are you on board with that like the guy hits it was hitting at 380 at LA a few weeks ago and he wants to roll the ball back do you see that being advantageous for the longest players if they do something like that I I don't know if it's you know advantageous I think it
1: relies much more on your ability to you know play your irons a lot better um I, I think that's pretty much what we get out of that so in in that stance i'm for it but you know as a whole i don't know if you can really do anything um you know to make these courses any more difficult you know even with a rollback i i don't know if tpc river highlands wouldn't have played you know what's the difference between what keegan won at 23 under and you know if if it's a little bit shorter and he wins at 20 under the course is still you know 6800 yards it's still 6800 yards it's short and there's, you know, there's still a number of courses that these guys can attack. And as we saw, it wasn't just bombers, you know, everyone's able to attack that. So I think it's just some courses need to be redesigned to a point, uh, you know, get some new renovations. And I, I don't know if the bifurcation is going to solve everything. We obviously can't have our cake and eat it too, but yeah. you know, there, there has to be, you know, something else that can help at that point.
0: Yeah, for me, and I don't necessarily know the answer to this, but to me, it's less about yardage and it's more about design. Um, When I look at even what's happened, like just put into example what happened last week at LACC, Um, it was a par 71. It was it was nearly seventy five hundred plus yards um, and it was really no problem for them, like mm-hmm. when they go to Pinehurst and I brought this up because I'm excited about Pinehurst next year. I think yeah. that I've I already kind of have plans that I would like to go see it. Um, but the last three times they've had a US Open at Pinehurst, only one player has finished minus two or better it's Mm -hmm. not that pinehurst is an overly long golf course it's extremely firm they have the runoffs on the greens that are basically built like upside down cereal bowls and everything sort of runs off and it's very difficult by design not necessarily by length and while i agree that they could like they just don't really have the space there i think to lengthen this but i think uh, uh some sort of a restoration all these TPC courses that they play are, are, are playing incredibly like easy, even though, but, but like, and I know you have the elevation and the, the huge like uphill, you know, tee shots going downward, but like one of the longest courses is Kapalua. And like, they went like 30 under par the right. other year there. So um, it's just kind of the way that the, the movement of the game is going. And if you set this place up easy and you have favorable, or, or I guess in this case, unfavorable conditions in terms of the playing elements of the course, they're just going to tear it up.
1: Yeah. And even, even a course like Augusta national, which plays like 7,600 yards is not a course that people, you know, note for being difficult because it's long. It's difficult because of the design, everything about it is difficult. And we've, we've even seen guys get up there, you know, in scores this year. So You know, I don't think anything gets solved by making courses longer. And again, like you said, it's you know, it's not about, you know, whether they have the space. Some of these places they just simply don't have the space to make it longer. It's just restorations, it's renovations, it's you know, deepening bunkers, you know, making the rough more difficult, growing it out a little longer, making those tight areas around the greens and runoffs a lot more difficult. That that's that's what it is. So just reshaping some of these golf courses in a way to kind of limit some of the more modern players in this game who can, you know, attack some of these easier courses. And that's really the only way you can do it at this point.
0: Yeah. So one of the other big storylines that sort of came and made its waves today um, was obviously the PGA Tour players policy board or whatever you want to call it is set to meet tomorrow for the first time since this announcement uh, up there in Detroit. Um, Storylines have been circulating regarding rumors that, like Patrick Cantlay, official world golf ranking number four player in the world, um, is is upset about this merger, and he's sort of rallying the troops of some players around him um, who are going to be opposing the impending merger between the PIF and the PGA Tour and the European Tour. Um, are you surprised he's willing to sort of now take this stand? I don't know what to think. Patrick
1: Cantley has never struck me as someone who is going to speak his mind about anything. Kind of seems like he would be much more willing to sit back and, you know, kind of let things happen as they go. I do. I did hear that, you know, he hasn't been able to rally a lot of players to his cause as, as much because of the fact that, you know, he kind of doesn't really have much of a of a factor outside of being one of the best players in the world. But he doesn't really have much of a voice there, so I'm not quite sure what what this. Uh, I, I think the article that I read called it a bloodless coup that has no chance of working. Um, yeah,
0: Eamon Lynch. Yeah, he's he, yeah. Of course.
1: So you know, I'm not really sure what to think. Um, you know, I, I still think that there's not a good chance that this deal even gets held up. I think the department of justice is just going to strike this deal down and we're going to go back to where we were a couple months ago anyways. So, you know, I'm not really quite sure what to think about that.
0: Yeah. So I'm unsure of the, the laws behind it, but from my understanding, I feel like it's going to be a difficult case for them to disprove that, mm-hmm. um, that this is so, there are they gonna prove that this is either bad for the game in terms of bad for fans and this sp- and particular fans of the sport, or is it bad for the players? And I don't I think that's a difficult point to prove for either. Yeah. Um, if the players are for it in a sense, they're all getting back together and being able to play on similar tours and similar events. And how can you not say that, like, getting the best players in more events together is a bad thing, ultimately, for the fans? I think it's going to be difficult to disprove that. I am a little surprised that as someone who is, you know, and, and I'll give him credit because he hasn't really taken a stand publicly on the issue throughout, and he's not really taking that publicly now. It's sort of been leaked, but I would be interested to hear some of his points. I find when he speaks to be very genuine and actually interesting when I hear him mm. speak, but he's really I don't think he holds a lot of weight. Like he doesn't hold a lot of weight with players on tour. He he plays a limited schedule. He doesn't seem to like have a ton of friends outside. He just the golf seems course. quiet. Yeah, he
1: just seems yeah. like a quiet guy who, you know, again, like outside of his world ranking, it really doesn't feel like his his stance is going to carry that much weight.
0: That's I agree problem. with you. Yeah, and, and what's he really like And I can understand that certain players being very upset about I would think Rory would be extremely upset about this because he was hung out to dry and made to look foolish um, for basically a complete year. And now he has all these sound bites out there that he has to retract and circle back. But what does Cantlay really said? Like, what does he have? Um, If if the paydays are end up being bigger, like I don't understand why he's so against it. And that's where um, if he's going to privately sort of take this stance with some players and he wants to sort of be the leader of this coup, I would like to see him stand in front of a microphone, and like tell us his reasons why and not be ashamed to. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's a shame that we haven't been able to hear from Jay. I hope he's okay, obviously, but the timing obviously is, is awkward with all that happened. And he was going to have to face a very difficult week, two, three, four weeks in terms of the media and and the assault that he was going to take from reporters. Uh, and he's kind of found his way out of that. So uh we'll just be interesting to see. I hope maybe we get he he'll talk a little bit in the press conference about what his grievances actually are with the deal. And that will help me to learn a little bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel like it's tough because from from a player standpoint, the PGA tour was never going to be able to, you know, down the road year after year, be able to continually pay out this, you know, this enormous amount of money that uh, you know, the, the, the PIP fund, uh, that Monahan put into place, I don't think that was sustainable and the PIF, you know, investment, you know, enables that. So, you know, is this bad, is this bad for golf? Uh, not in the future sense. No. And like you said, it gets us back to, uh, you know, back to having all the players together eventually, you know, just depending on how the PGA tour and Jay Monahan or successor, whoever, whoever it is decides to institute how the live golfers get back on tour. But I personally think Jay Monahan's done as the commissioner. I don't think he could survive this from a PR standpoint. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say the guy is faking a medical, you know, situation here, but I think this is a pretty convenient way for him to get out of, all of the uh, the media thought he was going to take from this.
0: Yeah, I can't stand him. I, I give him maybe he may have a, it gave himself a little bit of an ex, time extension with this medical situation, but certainly the clock is ticking. And in under a year, he'll be out of there. I have no doubt whether it's the players who get him out or whether it's the actual like Saudis who end up getting. Him he out has there. his
1: golden parachute. I'm we sure. had,
0: we used you for what we needed you for, and now you're out. There's no doubt yeah. in my mind they're gonna do that if the players don't do it first. But like for Cantlay. I'm just like, I still don't get it. Like is the the paydays in golf are going to be bigger. It makes the game more sustainable. It brings the best players back together. The players that I can see this hurting are those with like a brand like a Rory or a Ricky or just like Patrick Cantlay has no brand. He has no interest in creating brand. All he's here to do is be a silent assassin and play golf. And like this only helps that in a sense, like, He is. He's not even on social media. He doesn't have a Twitter account. He never posts anything like I. I, He's got DeWalt tools on his cap. Like, what is he selling himself as as a personal brand that this is going to potentially damage? That's where he loses me in this, which is why I think I would love to hear a little bit of an explanation from him.
1: Yeah, I definitely think any explanation we get from Cam is going to be interesting, and I'll, I'm with you. I want to hear it because I, I have such a I have such a limited opinion of him because he's been put up on this pedestal as far as you know his golf acumen is, and we haven't even seen him do anything. The guy doesn't compete in majors that well, you know. Outside of the tour championship, he really hasn't you know been a factor at anything crazy, and yet here he is. You know, he's on the policy board yet. We don't really even know what his public stance is until everything has been leaked here. So that that's that's an interesting wrinkle to me, and something I'll be looking here as well.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk to you just briefly about like. Golf betting in general, like a big macro lens look at things, because earlier in the year, there were many, including myself, who saw what was sort of transpiring in the game in terms of who was winning tournaments. It felt Mm -hmm. like Rahm. It felt like Scheffler. It was a little bit of home on the West Coast it felt like your strategy that um, we all sort of fell in love in terms of betting golf with is that these long shots and these meat and potatoes range of 30 to 60 to one really had a great opportunity to win each and every week. Felt like that wasn't the case anymore. And your winner was just coming from the top of the board, pepper the top. Like you got to take one of the top three things have sort of shifted in the dog days of summer a little bit. And the pendulum has sort of swung back where we had, Clark, obviously, at the U.S. Open and the Wells Fargo. Jason Day was a decent number at the Byron Nelson. We had Emiliano Grillo win. Um, We had Nick Taylor win recently. We just had Keegan Bradley win at a big number that Ted had at 90-1. to Do you feel like you are sort of evolving your strategy or is it something that you just have a consistency of year over year that, you know, your quota is going to be hit from a certain range or is it something that you're constantly adapting with these trends as they transpire?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm only, I'm only a few years in the golf betting myself and I really only got into it last year. But what I've seen from, from that year over year is, you know, we tend to, we tend to see these guys, especially with the designated events this year that changed everything. You know, it meant it meant that these guys at the top were going to throw themselves into these designated events and then have the majors. And it's all in, you know, a sort of two month period. Um, You know, obviously, we're we're only a month in the summer and we only have one major left and all the designated events are done. So now we kind of get to see, you know, all these meat and potato guys kind of start to come back out as the other guys have kind of little kind of not not hit the skids, so to say, but more, they're kind of easing out of their, you know, kind of hard driving charge that they made at the beginning of the year. And I, I definitely think, you know, like you said, that, you know, we kind of get to see this quota, you know, we know these top guys are going to win, you know, obviously it was Rom this year, it was Scheffler last year, and now kind of Scotty's taking a back seat. But realistically, Scotty could have won every single event that he he had played in the last two months if yeah. the guy, if the guy didn't put like Luke list. So, you know, realistically, you know, we're, we're kind of hedging our bets by saying, you know, the, you know, the guys, you know, it all evens out when, you know, he could have easily won, but that's, that's just golf. It's, it's tough to do it over four days. So yeah, I do think that there's a little bit of a year over year similarity in terms of what we see. And, you know, we see narrative play a, a big role as well. And I think coming into this part of the schedule where we have no more designated events and we have a bunch of kind of easier, easier courses that with, uh, you know, some more gettable numbers and some, you know, lower tier guys that kind of come out of the woodwork, I think it's a little bit more of an ease to kind of, you know, nail down your, your strategies and kind of focus a little bit more on course fit and a little bit more on statistical and not just, you know, say I got to have one of those top guys. Cause it does feel like for the designated events, you need to have one of the top guys and the majors. Cause they were all up there, you know, with, with the exception of, of Rom in some cases, one of him, Scotty or Rory were up there every single week for the majority of 2023. So far and they were always in it and so you just had to take that into account even at the short number you could fill out a tight card and still be in it but i do think that we were coming to the point where you can kind of lean back shift off some of your biases there and, and focus more on a statistical and narrative basis
0: yeah so i'll take a little bit of onus on this i had never fully got there but there were times when i'm like okay seven you know, seven and a half to one John Rahm is a good bet or eight to one. Scotty Scheffler is a good bet. Um, I would it, it, like I would probably walk that take back at this point just because mm-hmm. like as good as they've been and Scotty's been on a tremendous run, obviously the putter woes, but Rory's been playing well. He had this the second best week tee to green of anyone in five years last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Rahm's got three or four wins this year. I still think the value is there in the middle of the board and it always has been in golf. And I lost a little bit of sight of that probably earlier in the year, but especially, you know, the designated events here is I think this is the last year we see it in this shape. Um, I think it may still exist, but it's going to be, Changed quite a bit, but I think that we've seen some fatigue from the top players in just the amount of events that they've had to play where they aren't winning them at the same clip. You look at the three ones uh, outside of majors and they've been won by Grio at a big number. Fitzpatrick was I, I hit Fitzpatrick, I think at like 30 to one. And then obviously Keegan at 90 to one. So they're not really showing up the week after the majors. And I think if you're looking like at a more macro level, I think that value is still there. 40 to one. Like if you want to hit Scotty Scheffler seven and a half to one, you've got to hit him five straight. You've got to hit five wins with Scotty Scheffler to equal one at 40 to one. I think that's the difference. So I think like if I'm looking back on the year. I think continuing the same strategy, I think that middle range, like starting at 16 to one would probably be like around the lowest you would want to go. And then moving up to that middle range, I think, is ultimately the best way to probably bet golf. And let's talk a little bit about this week. So Detroit Golf Club, here's what I got in terms of course notes. And you tell me if you have obviously anything to add. So we've seen it now for this is going to be year five in Detroit for the Rocket Mortgage Classic, sort of classic quintessential like bomb and gouge, like that's what everyone's gonna mm-hmm. think at first. It's a short Donald Ross design uh, golf course with with short par fours and four par fives, which are all very gettable. Um, three of the four plays some of the easiest par fives on court on tour. Excuse me, um, they are bent grass greens, but. We talked to, and and my guys over the Tour Junkies told me they have some insight from some caddies who have been to this event who think that it putts a lot more like POA, and it is a bend, like sort of a blend between the two, so sort of to keep that in mind. Eighth easiest course on tour, so we're going to see very low scores here, probably um, south of 20 under par once again. Sort of tree-lined in a bit, not extremely wide fairways, but also not penal for the miss. Um, You can sort of play that. Bomb and gouge mentality here, and just hope that you don't get stuck directly behind a tree, and that's worked out for a number of players. The majority of the par fours are driver wedge for the entire field. Last year, this is funny because this course is a lot longer than last week, right? We saw we, you know, TPC River Highlands gets discredited because it's sixty eight hundred yards is the shortest course on tour. Last year at this event. 50% of approach shots came inside of 150 yards. And for reference last week at the Travelers, only 47% of shots. Now that's not that big of a difference, but when you factor in how much longer this golf course is, players are still hitting shorter clubs more often at this place than they were at River Highlands. And the other thing I just wanted to touch on, while I do think there is an avenue to play bomb and gouge, and that's probably the advantageous way in terms of looking for an outright If you're looking for a pivot or a DFS strategy, there have been really short hitters who have had a lot of success here. Kevin Kisner's done it a couple of times. Um, The year that Bryson and Wolf sort of went toe to toe. The next three on the board were Kisner, Willett, Ryan Armour who's probably the shortest guy on tour. 2019 was Lashley, Redmond, Roach. Even in 2021, outside of Cam Davis, you had Troy Merritt and Alex Norrin there. Like, these are plotters. These are guys who are going to hit 65% of fairways and hit it 285 off the tee. So there are a lot of different avenues, I think, to play this golf course. Um, Anything that I missed there? or you have anything to add? No, and
1: I'm... Totally in agreement with you. I've I have zero issue pivoting away from a bomb and gala strategy and just focusing on guys who can hit their wedges close. Um, you know, good drives gained, making birdies, you know, kind of kind of attacking these smaller greens. They're the 12th smallest greens on tour, you know, so they're they're not too big. So, you know, looking looking inside that, you know, five to ten feet. Uh, metric as well but yeah i kind of just want guys who can stick it close and and sink sink their birdie pots i'm i'm not too too overly concerned with being able to drive at 320 here and it will you know for 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 the same reasons troy Merritt's number one in my model this week i don't know how the heck he got there but he's sitting right <laughs> right at top of it so and like you said uh, the the few guys i have on my card right now none of them are bombers so you know, I'm, I'm totally on board with it. All
0: right, let's talk some boys and bet the board. The board. Tony Finau, your defending champion in Detroit, is at the top of the odds board this week at 12 to 1 is the best price. That's pretty much universally that number across a number of sports books. Ricky Fowler is 14 to 1 over at DraftKings. Colin Morikawa is 18 to 1 this week. Hideki Masuyama is 18 to 1. Justin Thomas, 18 to 1. Max Homa, 18 to 1. Sung Jay at 20 to 1. Tom Kim at 22 to one and then Keegan's at 30. Let's just stop at Keegan there. What are your thoughts, Sam at the top of the board? Where are you leaning on Monday night? So I, I took two
1: guys in this range already. I took Max Homa and I took song JM. Um, like I said, none, none of the guys I really love are, are bombers here. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of partial to Ricky as well. And R- Ricky's not a bomber really by, by any metric. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a guy that tends to bet back-to-back winners. So I, I tend to stay away from the top of these boards. Tony, um, personally, there, there are other events in this range that I think he's going to do well at. I know what I just said, but I think I'm probably going to bet him at the 3M, uh, next month to repeat there. Um, more I just, I can't get there. I, I love what he did with his irons last week. There's probably not a huge doubt that he would have went on a run last week if the cut was at three and not four. But the putting is just still so horrendous that on a Donald Ross course where the only defense is putting, I, I'm not sure if I can get there quite yet. Uh, Hideki's the, I think Hideki's the real wild card here. You know, we've seen Hideki kind of get a little bit better on the putting. It's not quite there yet, but he's ga- all he does is gain t to green, and all he does is win on approach, and that's kind of been his way to win lately. And the plus is that he's long as well as that, and that's that's not a uh, that's not a combination that a lot of these guys, actually, really any of these guys in this range have, is being long and good on approach. So if if there were a guy that sticks out to me in this range. Uh, At a good price, it's probably Hideki, you know, at that 18 to one number there. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do with Justin Thomas, but, you know, I I got to Homa and I got to Sungjae and these are just two guys that I think are undervalued at at this point. You know, Sungjae gets a bad rep because he's he's had those four bad weeks uh, from the PGA to the US Open, three missed cuts and a T40, I think it was at the uh byron nelson right um yep and then uh last week last week looked better it was still still kind of an ugly t29 but he was up there for most of the week uh he had some announcers jinx issues on saturday that kind of <laughs> did him in there but i really like sungjay this week he, he's he birdies well he putts well he can hit these he can hit these greens it's really just his wedges he overcooks his wedges sometimes, but you know I really like him. And then I, I don't know how you can see this course and not think Max Homa is a near-perfect bet for it. He's really good at those longer par fives. His His putting's been up. It's been up and down lately. I was looking at it earlier. He's gained in, before last week, he gained in each of his last four appearances that obviously included wells fargo and charles schwab as well as the u.s open and the pga championship he gained in each of those despite the fact that he missed the cut at the u.s open and was t55 at the pga and then obviously travelers just you know missed the cut there but i think still homa fits really well at this course and i i think his putting is probably his most improved attribute of his game this year which led him to those wins earlier in the season Uh, If he can keep it together on those, and, you know, I know him missing the cut at the U.S. Open at LACC really, really irked him. Um, I think now that he's had two weeks to digest that and he kind of, you know, was able to take the week off after the Travelers, I think this is going to be a really good, really good week for him.
0: Okay. I think I have... I have two different guys, but I think I'm thinking a very similar strategy because they're in the same range. Let me start here, though. I'm not betting Fino. I think that, and I don't usually ever like to say this, Sam, but just because I know this is ultimately going to get clipped when he probably wins. But Ricky Fowler is a terrible bet at 14 to 1. Terrible bet. Oh, absolutely. He's playing great. You don't bet that number on Ricky. Like when you have these other guys behind him at six, four points who are much better players than him. Uh, You just just wait. Just like be patient. Like he's playing good. The form is back. Let him miss a cut. Let him finish 36. He's a little fatigued and then catch him at 35 to one at the Scottish Open or something like that. When he's back to a reasonable number. This is absolutely like Buying in on a stock after it just went up twenty percent the previous week on some like news that you missed—you missed the breaking news and you missed the jump—and now you're buying in at all-time high. Horrible move. Okay, the two guys for me, and I'm in basically the same range as you, but I took two different guys. I took Hideki and I took Tom Kim. So I got Hideki at twenty to one. Um, he's pinned really hitting it nice. Number one in opportunities gained, which is basically birdie looks inside of 15 feet that he's giving himself. Um, The wedge proximities have been fantastic for him. The ball striking numbers have lined up great as well. And then Tom Kim is probably my favorite play this week. And I was heavy on him last week and he struggled the opening day, but he rebounded really well and had basically a Friday, Saturday, Sunday that I thought were very Very positive for him. A seventh last year at this event in basically one of his... It may have been his debut. I don't remember. It was one of the first events that he played, though. Um, And then he's just... So I looked at basically parf. I looked, I, I filtered a lot of stuff out with basically based on easy scoring conditions because mm-hmm. I think given how soft it is, there was some news that a bunch of trees fell down and they've been yep. experiencing a ton of rain this week. The course is going to play like I think probably 23, 24 under much like we saw last week is going to get you there. Uh, When you look at par five scoring on easy golf courses, he's actually number one in the entire field. And I know Ted that neither one of these guys are very long off the tee. um, And I'm kind of sort of fading the bomb and gouge narrative, but outside of now. None of these guys at the top are very long. Like mm-hmm. it's like we have a, a Scotty or a Rom or a Rory here that I think can just piece this place apart with three hundred and forty yard drives and take all the trouble out of play. Um, the best players in this event from Sungjae, Hideki, Tom. I mean, JT is borderline. Homa, Ricky. Colin, like none of them are they're all kind of very similar, more accuracy type players, I would say. Um, And those two I really like. I mean, Tom Kim's ball striking numbers have been coming around. He makes a ton of birdies on easy golf courses. Obviously, his win also came at a Donald Ross design golf course over there at Sedgefield. So um, I like those two. I just really like the amount of shots and I paid a lot of attention to you're going to hit half of your approach shots from like 75 to 150 yards this week. How dialed in are you with those clubs? And both yep. of those players seem to be two of the better ones in this range for me. I got a 20 on Hideki. I got a 22 on Tom, which is still obviously readily out there. Um, so those are my two guys that I'm sort of bundling up a package deal tag team at the top.
1: Yeah, and that was that was a big thing for me looking at Sedgefield and Uh, you know, courses like that, that have been similar here, I'm not paying as much attention to course history since we've only had it for four years. Um, that was one of the things that mainly led me to Sungjae as well was his history at, um, at Sedgefield, as well as, you know, his history at, uh, you know, TPC twin cities, which is another course that I think is a little bit similar to this Mm -hmm. where the 3 m open is, um, played well there. He's got a runner up finish there. I really like Tom Kim. He was, he was the he was the first guy out of this range or the last guy out of this range for me. And like I said, Hideki was right behind him. So I guess we're kind of just flipped on that, but definitely, definitely agree with, uh, with your, with your, with your, uh, idea there.
0: All right. So 30 to one range, we got Keegan back fresh off the win. cam Davis, um, obviously defending champion. Did he win it last year? Um, no, two, years, know, ago. Yeah, two, years, two ago. years ago. Yeah. He won two years ago. Okay, so Cam Davis at thirty-five to one, Harmon at forty-five, Benion fifty, Harris English fifty, Ludwig is here fifty to one. There were some early sixty-sixes today that I missed. Uh, Alex yeah. Smalley's fifty-five, Chris Kirk's fifty-five, Stephen Yeager's fifty-five, Austin Eckro sixty, Straka Hadwin. Those are your guys in the sixties. Um, this is kind of that range I was talking about. And and to be completely honest with you, I haven't. I haven't taken anyone in here, even though I talked it up. Do you have anyone that you like in this range?
1: Yeah, I've given a, I've given a thought to Chris Kirk. This this seems to be the type of course that he well. would uh, he would do well at. Um, and again, it's completely going away from that bombing gouge style and looking at guys who can really just sink putts and and get get your wedges in there. And that's what he did when he won the Honda Classic earlier this year. That's what he's done whenever he's competed. Earlier this year, you know, he just has a nice, steady, steady swing, plays par fives pretty well. And uh, again, that's what you can ask for. I do want to ask, has anyone ever won on Benny on, you know, taking him at just such a short, short number and a feel like this? It's, it's, it's always destined for heartbreak in, in that regard.
0: Yeah, and you know it, it does seem like a very bad price on him. And I had some interest in him because he popped on a couple of the the model instances that I run. I mean, the ball striking numbers essentially over the last twenty four rounds, he's second in the entire field. Um, yep. He's fourth in driving distance, so Benny Hot all of a sudden has a ton of pop in the bat, but he just didn't those make those par fives well too. Yeah, he does. He didn't make it there for me in terms of uh, actually playing kind of a little bit worse than his baseline on easy golf courses Mm. and like the putting thing. So let me ask you, because it's weird how I feel like a a lot of content creators and I'm victim of this as well, will sit here and, and tell everyone that putting is so variable and you can't count on putting and it could flip at the drop of a hat. Um, But then like weeks like this, you're like, oh, he's he has to putt well to win. Like, who are the good putters? Benny Ons, obviously not one. Where do you stand on the stance of 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 how important strokes game putting is when trying to predict how players going to do?
1: It's, it's there. I mean, the, the problem is when, when the course, when the course's only defense is tough putting greens, you kind of have to look at putting as, as something that does make a big deal. And one of the things I noted is that each of the last three years, every single player in the top five has gained strokes putting like, it, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's something to do with this course. It's not many other courses on tour that are like this, but literally the only defense is putting here. And if you have a good putting week, there's a, there's a very high possibility you're going to be up there. Like looking at last year, um, everybody, everybody in the top had good putting numbers. Uh, the only, the only person that the first person that did not have, uh, gain, gain strokes, putting were Russell Henley and Charlie Hoffman who finished T 10 and both of them lost under a stroke putting. And, and that was it for the top 23 guys. So it, it's, you know, it, it's hard for a course like this to not take good putters. Like putting, putting's variable. You know, the variance is going to be there on a, on a day-to-day basis. But it's typically at a course like this, you just got to rely on, on those guys to really put it out there. And, you know, it's not always going to be the guys that we pick and it's not always going to be the guys that are good. Some guys are just going to have that week. But, you know, we have to rely on, you know, it's, it sucks, but we got to rely on variants just coming through for us at, at, you know, places. And, you know, that's why a guy like Kirk, who's, you know, not really the best putter. I mean, he's he's decent, but he's not the best putter. I mean, he ranks uh, 70th in strokes game putting this year, but he, he just has one lights out week and, and it's there and the rest of the game just comes together. So, you know, we've, we've seen that in guys here before, and we just kind of have to rely on that.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm kind of teetering on both sides of it. Here's the thing is like guys who are historically not good putters can have great putting weeks. Mm -hmm. Like we see that all the time. Um, We saw it with, with, with list um, out at Torrey Pines. We saw it with Adam Svensson in, in the fall, who was not a good putting all of a sudden he gains 10 strokes putting. He wins. But on the other side of it, like putting, if you look at like the top five in putting in a PGA tour season, it's one of the more consistent stats year Mm -hmm. over year. Like Denny is the number one putter in the world for like five straight years. And he's always up there. So it's like for a player like him who actually has it as a skill and an asset, it's really not that variable. It's really when he goes out there and gains four strokes putting in an event, it's one of the more steady stats that you can kind of rely on for a player like McCarthy, but there are other players where certainly you are going to need a spike week. And certainly I look at guys who can showcase that. So if they're consistently losing, okay, they lose one, two, three in a row, but all of a sudden they have a week where they gain six strokes putting. Like those are the guys I'm enticed to take in an outright market. If you can, Put, you know, if you can spin the wheel and hit it on the right event um, when other things go right, it could eventually get there. So I mentioned that I kind of skipped over this range. I have a couple uh, sort of in the bomb range. There's a lot of guys up here. Sargent's very highly um, sort of going to be touted this week. Brandon Wu, I looked at very closely. Hojgaard is up there at a good number, which I know people like. Justin Sus has been playing well. Mark Hubbard's the guy that I took um, gotcha. two top nine finishes in his last four starts. I think the iron play is really turning around. He gained 1.8 strokes uh, on approach last week, despite a miscut. I think this could be a decent rebound spot for Hubbard. And then two guys, I feel like very similar games for me. Um, young and old Will Gordon and Luke List. Like they're both bombers. They're both in the top 12 in terms of driving distance. They're both not very good putters. And what I mentioned there is like having the ability to sort of have a spike week, um, I think could be sort of pivotal for both of them. Getting Gordon, I've kind of just been missing on Gordon for a while, but I feel like these players that I stick around with, I've always had really good success, like sticking with them when they're at triple digit odds. I think to like Svensson and there's a bunch of other ones who have just kind of like, I see something in them and you just got to kind of ride the form hit or miss. He's had, like four really bad putting weeks in a row, but there are weeks when it spikes, man. And and when it does, he basically top 20s, which he also did at the Canadian Open, despite losing like five and a half with the short game, uh, finish 18th there. So he has some ability. Luke List has kind of like quietly put together some really nice Approach weeks, 8.2 at the Memorial, uh, 2.9 last week. Charles Schwab was another decent week. Byron Nelson was okay. He's just so long off the tee. I think that he hits driver here a lot. And he's one of maybe 15 guys in the field that I think could have a big leg up if they're able to be accurate with it this week.
1: Yeah, I th- I think I think guys like that, uh guys that are just so nails on approach and you know can have spike weeks putting, but you know, are just more uh more reliable in other areas. I think those are guys that'd be more willing to take uh, you know, these bombing gouge guys. I think that strategy for me that I'm gonna lean with is attacking placement markets for a lot of these guys. Cause I, I think over the over the course of four days, I think we're just not gonna be able to see enough you know steadiness from those guys like Luke List. He's a guy that can shoot like we saw it. We saw it last week Sunday. I think he shot what eight under, nine under, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's or, really well. you know he's he has he has days on a course like that. He'll shoot three over, and it's it's just because he'll lose four or five strokes on the greens putting. And so I I, I think have not having to rely on them that deeply. I think makes me feel a little bit better. You know guys in this range I like Taylor Pendrith. I did. I did already take Justin saw today. Um I love his I love his game and I I just think on a course that will mitigate his off the tee woes and you know some of his approach woes I think that we can get there with the fact that he's just one of the better putters on tour. And, you know, this is just a course where I want to have those good putters on tour at better prices. Pendrith course history is there. Bombing gouge strategy. Yeah. You know, if I'm going with those bombing gouge guys, I think they're going to be somewhat more of the long shots than they are guys near to the top of the board. Uh, I looked at Joseph Branlett. He mm-hmm. ranked out highly for me as well, but I haven't put anything in on him yet. So there's that. But other than that, I'm not really seeing a ton of guys in this range that I love.
0: Yeah, me neither. Brent was asking about Charlie Hoffman. So, Brent, that's interesting because I actually kind of looked at Charlie because he um, some of the things that I so so he's second in the strokes gained total at Detroit Golf Club since basically they started at this event. Um, and really really sharp with the proximity numbers with the wedges so um top like 23rd or better in the field in all three of those ranges sub 150 yards but he's just not turning it into finishes for me and like i do feel like a player like gordon eventually is going to get his win like i don't feel like he's that far off from from Davis Riley and Nick Hardy. And, and 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 I know those two guys won sort of the team event, so that's a cheap one. But he's kind of within that class of really young, talented players within Cam Davis who are just looking to sort of break through, who are long off the tee um, and looking to sort of get that initial win, who are highly touted coming out of college. Luke List is obviously won a big time PGA tour event. He's competed in a ton of others and been very close. So those are kind of like where I ended up on. And that's kind of why I didn't end up on Charlie. It's obviously I, I'm intrigued in terms of maybe a DraftKings flyer in terms of maybe looking at to him in a in a head to head matchup this week. But I just don't feel like he's going to come out here and is ready to to win this event right now. Yeah. I totally agree there. Um, moving down the board, I mean, Chez is one hundred and twenty-five to one. I thought about Matt Neesmith. Sam Bennett is here, off of a, off of his like you know probably worst performance at one hundred and twenty-five to one. What about Ludwig? Like, where are you at with? Would you have taken if I could give you seventy to one on Aberg right now? Would you take it?
1: I don't know. Truthfully, I, I gotta I gotta roll with the fact that I'm not as in tune with some of the younger guys mm-hmm. as uh, others are. And truthfully, I haven't seen really enough yet. I'm looking at, I'm looking at him on the model now. It's not terrific. He's decent from the, the proximity buckets are decent. Uh, His putting is okay. And the par fives are there. He's long. Um, But I I don't know if I'm quite there yet. And especially at the number now is, you know, it's just been bumped up too much for me. Someone who I really wanted to take in that same range was Patrick Rogers, and I was really, really ticked that
0: he, I was looking at him too. He,
1: I was so ticked that he withdrew. I mean, he popped in every metric I wanted birdies are better gain. He's a great par five player. He's a great putter. The proximity numbers are there. He just, he plays well off the tee. I, I just, I was really upset that he, he bowed out because I was I was getting ready to take him at 70 to one. And, yeah. uh, that because that, that was that's a great number for him. That's another guy who I thought was just really going to win. He obviously got the uh, the seal of approval from Jack Nicholas earlier at the Memorial, mm-hmm. and I I think he's just ready to win. And I'm I'm I wonder what I wonder why he withdrew. So
0: yeah, I'm not sure either. I saw Hayden Buckley withdrew with a rib injury as well. But but back to sort of Ludwig. I'm very high on Ludwig. I've been okay. following him for quite a while. was was really impressed with his performance as still an amateur at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Um, that said, I'm not I, I I'm not going to get there at the number. He should be 101. Um, yeah. It's really tough for young players to come out and immediately win, and they're oftentimes very highly regarded coming out of college. And there's just a learning curve there yeah. to not having teammates, to not having coaches to not having being sort of on your own and on the road and there are certain players who are willing to overcome that but um it's it's not necessarily built into the betting price i don't feel like um at 50 to 1 on a guy to come out and win i think he's fantastic but like i took this same stance sort of with cameron young last year and it was i was never really right on it but there were events where he was playing well and he was so highly regarded where he'd be down to like 28 30 to 1 right but you give him a few weeks and he's up to hundred to one. Like I had him 125 to one to win the open championship and he finished second to Cam yeah. Smith there. So like, just wait on Ludwig. You will get an 80 to a hundred one, assuming that he doesn't win. For instance, like I can't think of a more highly touted collegiate player in the last 10 years, honestly, than Matthew Wolf. Like the guy really? was an absolute stud He won and I had him in his fourth event as a PGA Tour pro in Minnesota. He was 125 to one that week. And like this is one of the most accomplished, highly decorated collegiate players of all time. And Matthew Wolf, who had just come off a national championship, both individual and team, um, he was he was he was the guy. Like before Morikawa, before you know Justin Saw and Victor Hovland, like Wolfie was the guy coming yeah. out of college. And you're still getting one, you're still getting two point five x the price you're getting on Aberg right now in like his fourth start. So um, I just don't see it. I think just maybe. I'm excited to watch him. I hope that he plays well. I think that he will play well, but I'm just going to pause and wait until maybe a little bit of the shine wears off and he floats back up to yeah. like 80 to one plus. And then I think that's the spot where I'll be be comfortable taking
1: him. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at how much of a course correction we've had to take on Cameron young. And I am I'm what I love, Cameron Young. Like I have a a true illness in betting him each and every single week, and just uh, every week I say he can't keep doing this to us, right? Like he can't just keep getting there and just coming out, coming out looking like a dead fish in these events. And there he goes and just does it again. I I truly think all the hype, you know, either got to his head or you know it got to him just in a mental sense. To where, you know, it's just tough to, you know, come off all those uh, second place finishes in your rookie year at some of the biggest events on tour and just not come away with a single win there. You know, we have to think he's going to get there soon, but until then, the numbers are just going to keep sinking down and down and down. And I mean, he's, you know, it still hasn't course corrected for him, but I think Aberg will, you know, it's tough to get that first win. It's really, really tough. Not everyone is Rose yeah, and it's just really tough to get your first win on the PGA Tour. Like you said, it is. It's it's like being a rookie in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence was the most decorated, you know, and most hyped collegiate prospect that we have seen in generation. And I know we I know we toss that generational term around uh, really loosely these days, but Trevor Lawrence was generational, and he sucked yeah. his rookie yeah. year. He absolutely sucked. Jared Goff, same thing. Absolutely sucked these guys come around. It It might take them a year or two, but they come around. And I think Aberg will be a lot more developed professionally. I think he'll be a lot more developed physically, uh, you know, in the second half of his first year, when we get back to the fall swing and, you know, maybe into the early part of next year. And I think that'll be a much better place to look at him to win some of these tournaments.
0: Love it, dude. Um, that's what we got for the Rocket Mortgage, Sam. It was awesome to to talk to you, man. It was a real pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Um, yeah. we'll have to get together soon and play some play Absolutely. some IRL golf. Uh, but tell everyone where they can find us, uh, some more of your content, and, and plug some of your stuff before we get you out of here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything I do is over at the game day, at the game day HQ on Twitter, at the game day NFL on Twitter, our website, thegameday.com. Everything I do is over there. NFL, PGA, F1, all the other sports. I basically just do everything and um fantasy football as well. And then some fantasy football content also over at football guys as well. But you know, as far as me, that's that's it.
0: Awesome, dude. Appreciate having you on. You have a great week, man. Yeah. Talk to you. Absolutely. Soon. You too. See ya. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. Ted, Brent, everyone in here. Uh, thank you as always. Make sure to subscribe to the preferred lines YouTube channel. Quick sort of um scheduling update next week for the John Deere Classic. There will not be a show. Um, I am taking my once-a-year family vacation trip up to the mountains of North Carolina and I will be unplugged enjoying time with my two kids and my wife for the week so I hope that you all have a fantastic week we'll be back in action the following week for the Scottish Open rounding it up until into the Open Championship and then going to continue, obviously, through the FedEx Cup playoffs and the Ryder Cup. It was a pleasure to do this show for you guys tonight. I hope that you enjoyed the program. Subscribe on the way out. PL YouTube, preferredlinesgolf.com. I'm Joe Idoni at Picks on Twitter. Uh, have a great week. Enjoy the Rocket Mortgage Classic and hope that you all have a blessed and happy 4th of July. Talk to you soon, gang. Peace.